Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. If you're looking for a snack that packs a punch, look no further than Avinola, a granola that can be taken on the go and it's so versatile that it can be eaten as a snack or as a meal. We love Avinola because of its nutritional content. Lots of granolas have a high sugar content, but not Avinola. This granola is sweetened with monk fruit, so it actually doesn't spike your blood sugar, and it's a great option for those who may be diabetic or looking for a low sugar alternative compared to other granolas. I mean, what could be better than a granola that only has one gram of sugar? Not to mention it's keto approved. So that means it's only got one gram of carbohydrates. And this is because it's made with lupini beans. And y'all, I have to tell you right now, I would have no idea this wasn't made from a grain because it tastes so good. So go grab yourself a bag of Avinola at avi-foods.com and upgrade your granola fix right now. Use our code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your first order. Hey y'all, welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our beautiful co-host, Maddie. Hey everyone. And this week we are also joined by our guest, Lila Stein. Lila, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so we're going to get into how we connected, but if everyone has seen, which I'm assuming everyone that's listened to this podcast has watched the NTSB roundtable, that is where you're going to recognize Lila from. And again, I just appreciate you being here and appreciate everything that you've done for this community of yours. And I'm so, so happy and blessed to be working with you at PMHC and really excited to talk to you today. So As all of our listeners know, at the top of the show, we always ask our guest, how did you get into aviation? What lit that light for you? And who inspired you or who's your role model? So I grew up hearing stories of my grandfather, who was a pilot. Uh, He sadly died in a a T-6 texting crash when my mom was super little, but he was a pilot for North Central Airlines. So um, aviation and airplanes has always been part of the stories I was told as a kid growing up by my grandma. I was always geared towards science and space. I was just one of those super nerdy kids. I had a super supportive family, which I'm very blessed with, who sent me to all the science and space camps that they could send me to. But as I got into like middle and high school, science and space became not the cool thing to do. So I decided to, for my self-preservation, fit in, um, I kind of dropped the science and space part of my life until it was time to decide where I was going to go to college. And I had a like come to Jesus moment where I had applied to like what felt like 15 different schools with 15 different majors ranging from anything from engineering to cybersecurity, to nursing, like you name it as a major, I had applied. I was lost and wandering around life. And it wasn't until my mom had suggested that we could tour Western Michigan University under an aviation major that I felt like my life clicked into place with aviation. I went and toured Western. It was the crappiest Midwestern day you can ever imagine. It was sleeting. We were unprepared. It was freezing cold. We couldn't go to like half of the campus due to construction. And they put us, put me in one airplane 
and it was signed, sealed, delivered from that moment on. I returned home, got accepted into school, got my private pilot's license that summer with the grumpiest CFI you could ever imagine, and it has been <laughs> love from that moment on. That sounds like quite the journey, and like you just like you knew what you wanted to do, and then you just like followed the steps, and now here you are. Um, so what was like your experience going to, uh, Michigan state and then what was like the good parts about it? And then what were the hard parts about it that you maybe didn't expect? Going to, to Western was definitely a challenge coming from a small public high school in Indiana. I realized very early on that not all flight schools are created and going to a university 141 school, it was extra hard compared to some of the more the 61 atmosphere that I had experienced getting my private. I definitely needed the challenge. I didn't want the challenge. I needed the challenge. But the university aspect of my experience was definitely the most unique part and the part that I enjoyed the most. Not all pilots get to experience going to class with engineers and nurses and, and business majors, which that really, for me, felt like it made my experience well-rounded. Uh, the 100-hour restricted ATP is also a really nice bonus of going to a 141 university program, but I do know that 141 university programs are not the program for everyone. They're really expensive. They're typically longer compared to other programs like that, so there are a lot more options out there that can better suit people's needs, although if you are looking for a university challenge and do want to become a pilot, um, one of the many university 141 programs could be in the future for you. Nice. Good to know. Good to know. And I appreciate you saying that because I feels like some people just ride and die for one way and one way only. And I feel like there's something to be said that to each their own, like everyone learns so differently. And some people can go to a six month program, like a, a 161 and apps are not 161, 141 and absolutely thrive. Um, and then there are other people that have to do it through a university or they go to like their local flight school and just do it that way. So absolutely. I appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah, absolutely. Is I, I teach at a 61 school. Like I teach non-traditional students now. And I think there's a lot of benefit into to learning the way uh, that you learn best and, and picking the path that's going to help you succeed best as a human. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you wish you would have done during flight school that you didn't or anything that you did wish that you wish you would have done differently? I wish I wouldn't have compared myself to other people so much. Being a, a woman in, in aviation can really get you feeling like you are, are lesser than or you have to strive to, to be something at one specific point or you have to achieve something early or better or you didn't achieve it at all. And I wish I would have just relaxed into my own. Everyone has their own path. Everyone has their own success benchmarks. And that's really what what I should have focused on. I have a huge case of imposter syndrome because I do compare myself to other people so much. Um, but I'm, I'm working on that one of my 2024 goals, but I ended up here today with you all because of the path that I was on throughout my flight school. So, um, I say that I did pretty well, damn for myself to end up being here sitting with you too. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. That's so sweet, Lila. I love that. Um, I feel really like blessed for the people that Emma and I have got to connect with, like honestly talking with you and seeing all the things that you've done, even though you're young, even though you have like this imposter syndrome, we also feel like the same about, about you. Like we're really lucky to be sitting here with you and talking about what we get to talk about today. So um, thank you for all the work that you've done too, which kind of leads into my next question. But I do want to talk about first the imposter syndrome and the comparison 
Um, because I feel like I, even at 35 years old, guys, like I still have that. I still feel like, you know, I don't know enough and I could know more and I could be better. And I, even on my journey as a student pilot, I'm looking at 19 year olds and like, holy shit, they can do way more than I can, where they know the plane better than than I do. And why can't I do that? And I, so I think at any age, like people have that imposter syndrome. And I think that's what being a student pilot is about teaching yourself that, you know, things that seem like you can't achieve them, you can. It's definitely like helping you become the person that you're supposed to be. And, and Emma always says like it built her confidence so much. And I think it does that for everyone. So um, thanks for touching on that too, because I I feel that even, I compare myself all the time, even at the age that I'm at. Um, but I did want to ask you, how did you get interested in the area of aeromedical reform and then like mental health and aviation? Like where did that start for you? So if we take it all the way back to the grand year of 2020, the, the pandemic hit and impacted all of our lives. I was a new college freshman when I was sent home my second semester and going into my sophomore year. So my second year, I was hired on as what we called a living learning community, living learning, living learning community assistant. I can never say that uh, as an upperclassman to live with the freshmen in the dorms again. So essentially me, myself and I was in charge of mentoring one to 200 freshmen coming in to the aviation program that year. And these all had been freshmen who have had their second semester of their senior year of high school taken away from them. So a very precious moment had had been ripped from their lives and they were struggling to find out what they meant. So I, being the you know young ear person, I was recommending that my residents go to the free counseling center on campus to talk about some of the struggles that they had been facing. And it became very apparent to me through uh, some of my friends and some of my mentors on campus that that was the not, that was not the right thing to do that recommending that they go to the free counseling center could impact the, the future lives of the people I was trying to help. And so learning more and digging deeper into this issue on, on the internet, I got really worried about the impact that this, this mentality had on historically marginalized communities within aviation and the impacts and the barriers that they face in their own lives. So I went to uh, one of the student groups on campus, the Aviation Student Council, Council, which is just like student government for College of Aviation, and I essentially asked them if they would help me host a town hall to try and clear up any questions on this issue. And so we had it, it was in the spring of 2021 that that finally was able to happen. We got our college dean on board, we got our counseling center on board, we had two different on board on that call, and essentially what they were to, what they were able to tell us was nothing. And so it was that following October that John Hauser died by suicide. And I had this moment where I realized that could have easily happened at Western with the people that I had talked to, with my friends, with the people around me that could have easily happened in my own community. So it was almost kind of like a, a, a world ending moment where I wanted to make sure that that that, that wasn't going to happen to any other aviation community. It shouldn't happen to any other family. It shouldn't happen to any other pilot. And so I took what was something at the time I didn't want to do, which was my Lee Honors College thesis, and I turned it into something that I could, could change the world for the better with. So in April of 2022, I started off on my Lee Honors College thesis, which was a survey that went out to all college of aviation faculty, staff, flight instructors and students that essentially 
aim to measure their perceptions of the regulations that we in the pilot community perceive as a barrier to going and getting healthcare. Wow, dude, I just have to commend you because for obviously you're a young person, but for any person to be affected by something like that and then take all that energy and really try to make change is that's a feat. And not a lot of people do it. I think, and it's no shade to anyone, but I think a lot of us get excited about different things when certain things happen and that energy is there, but it fades and dies off quickly after that excitement leaves. And for you to stick around and really keep on dedicating your time and effort to this is is huge. And for, for a young person, that's even bigger. Um, it's honestly just incredible. So thank you so much. I just think that's fucking awesome. Excuse my French, but it is just really, really cool. Um, but that kind of like reminds me of my next question for you. Cause at the NTSB roundtable, you spoke about how the GA community has a large lack of resources when it comes to the SI pathway. Um, can you share why that is, or share a story that one of your students has shared with you about that lack of resource and why that is a barrier to disclosure? I could talk about this for hours, but I will try and keep it concise. So essentially, when you are looking for resources as an adult human, you have obviously, you know, commercialized insurance companies and things like that. But typically in the pilot world, you look for resources either through well, when you're going through your education or when you have an employer. So through the education, that could look like your uh your flight school, it could look like your 141 program, it could look like your university where you're able to turn to and ask questions to and kind of figure out your, your plan of attack if you are looking for resources specifically on healthcare issue. With an employer track, there is employee assistant programs, peer support programs, unions, loss of medical or disability insurance that are there to kind of protect you and guide you through the program if something were to come up with your medical process. So the issue is that none of those resources exist in the training or general aviation world. There is no employee assistant program hotline that you can call if something happens to you or your family while you're in flight training. There is no peer support program where you can call a fellow pilot in training um, and, and get the, those resources and insight from them. There is one peer support program that is geared towards student pilots and that's Project Uplift at the University of North Dakota. But that is the only peer support program that I've heard of for anyone who's not in, in an airline. There is no union to, perfect, to prevent, protect flight instructors from losing their medical or there being impacts to weather on their job. There is no loss of medical or disability insurance that is easily and readily available for pilots of the general aviation or student pilot population. There are organizations such as the AOPA, EAA, and my favorite resource, Google, that can provide insight and advice to you, but none of them can protect you in the same way that the airline world can protect you, uh, yeah. which really highlights the fact that the FAA will talk about how um, with 99% of their medical cases, only 1% are finally denied. And a lot of those 99% never move forward because people don't submit the right paperwork. And I argue that that is because they don't know how to send in the right paperwork. They don't have the resource to know what paperwork to send in. They don't have an advocate there 
on their behalf. So there is no one to kind of pick up the pieces after a student pilot may apply for an initial medical, realize this is a lot harder than I thought. There's no union there to call them every week to make sure that their spirits are intact or loss of medical insurance for a CFI to cover their loss of income while their medical is in that track. There's just a huge gap from when you either you know start training or quit your job to start flight training to when you get hired by an airline, it can be anywhere from, you know, four to seven years into your pilot track if you even want to be hired at an airline for a corporate job like that. So there's just this huge gap that leads to people hiding and not disclosing things or maybe not even seeking care in the first place rather than trying to go through the proper channels because they don't have enough support to go through those proper channels. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there with the, you know, not having any resources. I even think of myself as a a student, obviously, I'm going to a part 61 school. And if I were to have some struggles, like, I don't, I honestly don't know where I would go and who I would ask. And um, I know that I can lean on like my husband, obviously, he's an airline pilot. But if I didn't have him, like, who would help me? And how would I navigate that? And, and knowing like my dad obviously was the aviation person in my family who would be able to support me in this. He's not here. And my mom knows not, not a lot about aviation. She would be supportive because she's my mom. But what you're saying is, is like, there's not an actual person there to advocate for a GA pilot. And you, Emma, and I are kind of in that realm right now. Um, I know, Lila, that you want to go to the airlines and you will eventually have those resources that you can pull on. But what, until then, like, what resources are you utilizing? Yeah. And for a CFI, somebody who, I mean, we all know it's just, it's, that's the open truth that, you know, you aren't making that much money as a CFI. So if you do lose your job and now you have to somehow figure out how to just afford how to live, but now you have to figure out a way to fund and afford getting your medical back, that's, I just can't even imagine what that situation looks like. I know I think about like my CFIs and where they were at at that point in time. And if anything like that would have happened to them, I know it would have been really devastating to their career. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was just thinking even my CFI that I had, amazing CFI, loved him. But he's also quit his career as a teacher to become an airline pilot And to imagine like, what if something happened? He was 45, he's got kids in school, you know, he's got a wife at home who works, but still it's just like those scenarios, a lot of the times people don't think about, but could be really damaging. And is a lot of the reason I think like you had mentioned, I didn't really think about this before, but a lot of those people getting denied are probably GA pilots, you know, um, that are fueling the passion for younger generations. So it is interesting plays out. There's a reason why we see the the first class approval rates or it's it's a faster process and people are being approved quicker. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that most people holding a first class medical, which this isn't all people, but a lot of them are probably doing some form of commercial work through an airline or someplace that has insurance or a union or something to back them, disability, et cetera. So that's probably why they get theirs back sooner because they have more resource to do it versus somebody who's on a third class medical. Um, and even if you're not making money, it's it's still not a fair process. No, Absolutely. I, all the way around. It's like not fair. Even, even if you have money to go through it, it's still not fair. So um, I just wanted to touch on the NTSB roundtable again, because it was such a big deal. 
And I really loved your talk there. And I told you that when we were um, on the Hill. And uh, one of the things that I love that you said was John could be me. I could be John. Like, I will never forget you saying that. It really resonated with me. It's like these people that we're fighting for, we could be them. And it was such an important point to make. But I wanted to know what was your overall experience at the NTSB roundtable? Um, what was it like speaking, going to the congressional meetings, SPMHC, um, and all of that? Overall, walking into the NTSB room was like the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever experienced in my life like worse than my CFI check right I it was so such a such a big room and so so many important people were there it was also very bright I don't know if anyone noticed but the spotlight was directly on me I could for better or for worse I couldn't see the cameras and my iPad almost overheated with how hot it was up there but it was an amazing experience I really appreciate you picking up that line, Maddie, because I, I truly meant it. I think there are, uh, I believe in the butterfly effect that affects all of our lives and a slight difference in my own life or anyone else's life could lead us down the same path that, that John was down. So I'm very, very passionate about making sure that people understand that they are bigger than being a pilot and they're more, more important than, they're more important on this earth. Um, than their ability to to fly an airplane. It was a tremendous honor to be up there with Anne, Troy, Stephanie, and Tim. The NTSB staff and the board was super receptive and supportive of everything we were saying, and the audience was also super supportive as well. Uh, PMHC as a whole was so much fun in Congress. I don't do not know how a group of people can make meeting with like 15 different congressional staffers so much fun, but somehow we did it. And I think after our first staffer was a little bit late with the breakfast sandwich in his hand, we all relaxed a little bit and realized that they are humans too. And so we were really able to drive our message home. It is a little scary and a little nerve wracking being what I feel like is so young, young and inexperienced, but I feel like PMHC really does a great job of drawing each other's strengths out of it. Um, and so that we work as a team collaboratively to get the message across. I could not have sat in those uh, offices and said the same thing without Maddie, Emma, and, and the whole PMHC team being there as well. So if anyone wants to, to join us, even if you're not a powerhouse like Emma and Maddie, you have a more specialized skill or more interested in joining us as a team. We're a great group of people. I think we're a tremendous amount of fun, and we'd love to have you on board. Yeah, oh, we had I, a good, good time. <laughs> I have to go back to your speech because I, I, I feel like I had told you this, but I will say your speech, you, I started listening and I was like, okay, I got it. I'm not going to cry because I had just been a flood up until that point. I was like, okay, a moment of relief. The second you said that, that line about John immediately, it was like, oh, here come the fucking waterworks. It was over for me. That hit I mean, and for Maddie and I, because we've been doing this so long, obviously we've heard so much that's impacted us. It takes a lot for us to shake like that, but you brought it out of me, girl. I was like, oh my God, whoo, she did it. She did it. And I'm, I was looking at the crowd and it was like, immediately you could see everyone shift. Um, you, you were so powerful up there. I can, I told, I did tell you this, you reminded me so much of the one game of Thrones character and I cannot remember her name, but you, you just look so powerful and strong and confident and you freaking slayed it mama. So yeah. you killed it. And honestly, again, and then going back to being on the Hill with you, like it was, I, I, 
I, I appreciate you so much, you being there. And, you know, it, that day was, it, it was so exciting, but there were moments of it that were really hard. And I feel like, just like you said, the only reason I could get through that was because of like having you, Maddie, Emmy, people like that sitting around me, it really, really helped. Um, so I just, I'm so glad that we got to connect through all of this. Cause you're a powerhouse. You are a powerhouse. Yes, you Girl. are. Girls, you you both are the powerhouses. I'm just I'm just tagging along with my little data points and my my little spreadsheets. You no. got the uh, celebrity sighting though. You have to talk about that. Oh yes! Oh, oh my god! <laughs> oh my gosh! So the three of us were standing outside, freezing in the cold. We just got out of our little little Uber. We didn't know where <laughs> to go because our our guiding light was not yet there to guide us to our next meeting, and so we were standing around I believe we we're talking about the the Taylor Swift concert or something yes like that. we were <laughs> just looking around enjoying the view because we're literally on Capitol Hill is to our right and the office buildings are to our left it's a gorgeous view and I see this car pass and I notice AOC is in the car and I like freak out and freeze and I'm like <laughs> oh my gosh that's AOC and, and Maddie starts yelling why didn't you say anything why didn't you say anything uh, but that was our one celebrity sighting on the hill I was so sad I didn't get to see her. I was like, oh my God, I love AOC. I would have ran after her car, but you know, my feet were really bothering me that day. <laughs> Dude, that was honestly so iconic. I was okay with it just to say that like I saw the back of her car. I was like, okay, yeah. cool. Her, her little yes. car driving down. I was like, she's sitting shotgun queen. I know. And I'll never forget. It was like a blue car. Like I'll never forget that image. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, well, I got to steer this plane, but <laughs> I will ask you my next question. I could sit here and chit chat with you all day. You crack me up. Um, since we are just starting the new, you know, the new year, it's 2024. Do you have any like goals this year or I don't know, resolutions both inside and outside of aviation? Absolutely. I'm a big resolutions girly, whether I keep them throughout the whole year to be determined, but we're trying to start off the year strong. Inside of aviation, my goal is to get my CFII. I have a lot of downtime now that it's winter and cold here in the frigid tundra of Indiana. So my goal is to get my CFII here when the uh, uh, freezing levels get a little higher. But my overall goal within aviation is just keep learning. I just hit 100 hours of dual given as a CFI, which is like baby numbers. So I just want to keep learning and trying to be the best instructor I can be for my students and for myself. Um, I'm also looking at potentially going to grad school. So if anyone wants to help a girl out throughout this process, I am taking sponsors on board now. Um, but overall in my life, I'm just learning how to be a good team player um, and really how to turn the work advocacy pilots out of my brain off when I walk inside the door at the end of the day. I know it can be a lot to be a pilot. We all have our big macho ego attitudes and, and doing this work is super um, super inspiring work for me. I get really, really fired up about it. So I want to make sure that I'm also able to just become a human at the end of the day, which is a huge part of this being a sustainable cycle. This work isn't easy, both being a CFI and doing this advocacy work. So I want to make sure that I'm able to recharge as a human at the end of the day. Um, and so I can go out and do that work even better tomorrow. Yeah, well, you're a girl about... after my own heart. 
Sorry, like, protect your peace, mama. Protect yep. your peace for real. We talk about mental health all day long. And I think we, we three, but like, you know, this with everyone that we work with, I think sometimes we forget that we have to take care of ourselves. Oh yes. Oh yes. This work, it can be, people will, will get on board for a couple of weeks and be super fired up 24 hours a day, seven days a week for like two weeks. And then they'll fall off the cliff. I would much rather have people for 30 minutes a day for for years rather than just a, a week or two worth worth of work there. Yeah, it's all about balance. I think that's something Emma and I have definitely had to learn. Um, and then also just learning how people advocate and do volunteer work. It's something that I didn't realize. Like not everyone has the same passion as I do. And people's light can burn out way, way quicker than mine. So I think the goal is like consistency and and definitely balance like your your human life, as you say. Um, I definitely do that in my own life. I think it's important, but goals also really motivate me. So I love that you have those those big lofty goals for yourself. And uh, my next question, it's not about New Year's goals, although I could talk about goals all day long. I did want to pick your brain about being a CFI because I always think it's interesting to hear from someone who's teaching. What should students look for when pairing up with a CFI? I think that's one of the biggest questions as a student pilot is like, what am I looking for? How do I even know if it's a good CFI? I know for myself, I didn't even know what a good CFI was. Like I tried out four different CFIs before I was like, I know this is a good CFI, but also I know personalities and, and, and learning styles are different. So I want to know your inside scoop. Honestly, me, I'm a good CFI. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> overall, I think the biggest thing is that you should feel comfortable and safe through CFI. If you don't trust them if you don't speak their language if you get into an airplane with them and you're like well what's happening I don't I don't understand what's going on you're talking so quick I don't understand the words you're saying that's probably a little bit of a red flag um, I really encourage students to ask questions if you can't ask questions if your CFI won't ask questions that's another huge red flag for me um, students should feel supportive they should feel aware of what's happening now Understanding that it is your CFI's job, right, to also push you outside of your comfort zone, to challenge you, to put you into new environments, but you should feel safe and secure and trust them at the end of the day. It is a little bit of a blind faith as you as you show up for your first day, but showing up prepared and understanding, hey, I'm going to trust this person. What do they also bring to the table? And your CFI should, if they're a good CFI, show you what they can also bring to the table in that first meeting. And hopefully it's a relationship that starts out with trust and questions and, and feeling comfortable at the beginning. I love that answer because I feel like that's something that isn't talked about enough. And I feel like, especially when we're students and we employ these people to help us, we just assume that they're God, essentially. Like we always talk about that as pilots, we have this big ego, but we also feel that on the opposite side of it from the student looking at the CFI. So I think those are really, really good things to be aware of um, and things that just should be commonplace. Like I'm surprised more people don't give that answer because I hear this question like asked a lot on social media and stuff. And not a lot of people say that. So I really, really love that. But let's flip that script. Not all CFIs are created equal, but neither are students. So what are ways that student pilots can prepare to be the best for their CFI? I have 
three things that I look for in, in a prepared and a good student. Showing up on time is the biggest one. I'll, I'll take five, 10 minutes early rather than I will take five, 10 minutes late. If you were a minute late, that disrespects my time and that disrespects the time that you're paying me for. Um, I always, always appreciate students having their homework done. If I tell you, you need to have this prepared for the next lesson, I expect that to be done. And I understand life situations get in the way and we all get a pass every once in a while, but it, when it becomes a habitual issue of you not showing up with the your homework done, that really also, um, it decreases the amount of time we're able to spend flying and you're able to spend learning. And instead we're doing your homework together, which is not very much fun for either of us. And the last thing that I look for in a really good student is asking questions. Admitting when you don't understand something or admit when you don't know what the CFI is talking about is huge. We know when you're confused, but we can't do anything about it until you ask questions. I can explain the same thing a hundred different ways, but if you don't ask about the part that you're confused about, we're just going to be sitting here for two hours talking about the same exact thing about the carburetor until you ask. The question that you have about the carburetor. So being comfortable asking questions or getting out of your comfort zone and asking those questions is huge for making sure that you are getting uh, what you pay for out of your CFI and getting your lessons worth with a lesson with a flight instructor. I love that. No well, question is that. a dumb question. Oops, sorry. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, I would be an A plus student for Lila. I am a 21 questioner. My husband says I ask too many questions. I, I love questions. I ask questions too. I will field questions all day, every day. Well, yay, because I like, it's just something about me. Like if I don't understand, like I just keep asking questions and asking questions and I can, I can annoy myself sometimes with the questions that I have, but I'm like, I need to know. And it is, yes, it is so frustrating to be like in the right seat and have a student where they very obviously do not understand. Yeah. And you are like, I cannot help you until you explain to me what you're confused about. It is so frustrating being on the instructor side, just wanting to help you understand it. And I would rather, like I said, I'd rather ask a bazillion different questions, half of which I have to look up than not ask any questions at all. Do you feel like um, student pilots who are female are actually more apt to ask questions than male student pilots? I don't have enough information to answer that question. I've only had one female student that I've been able to teach and I did their training just from checkride prep onward. So I signed them off for their PPO. Um, yeah. But I haven't really had as much in-depth experience. It definitely flows from person to person. I've got uh, male students that won't ask any questions and male students that'll ask a billion questions. Um, it just okay. kind of depends, I think, on their personality more than anything. Yeah, I always think about that because, like, me, I have a twin brother, so, like, the way that we learn is, like, very different, and I think he's not as much of a questioner as me, but then I'm like, is that just, like, a boy thing? Like, they absorb information just differently from women? I don't know, but I always just wanted to ask. <laughs> that, is a, that is a good question. I will let you know if I tend to notice a pattern. I also love, I also love being very observant of the world around me, and I will notice what people call stupid things like that I'll have to keep you updated on that one that's a good one yeah patterns of like I love themes and patterns obviously um so it would be interesting report back I will I know you're busy but can you do that for me absolutely <laughs> all right is it my next question guys am I dropping the ball it show is okay <laughs> oh okay so we're at the final the final countdown of questions so 
honestly, we want our audience to be able to follow you. So let us know where they can follow you, Lila. Honestly, the place where I talk about this issue the most and where I'm most connected with people is probably LinkedIn. I know that sounds old. I like to keep my Instagram private and I will not publish a TikTok for the life of me. So you're going to have to find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'll connect with you. I'll answer any questions. DM me if you want to talk about anything. I'd be more than happy to to chat with you all. You heard her. Go on LinkedIn. Um, okay. And then now we're going to go over to fun questions. Lighten the mood up a little bit. And I don't know if our audience knows this about Lila, but she's a big Swifty girl. So I wanted to know between two couples, which are you going to choose? Which I feel like I already know this, but you may not choose. (laughs) So between the two couples, Timothy Chalamet, Kylie Jenner, or are you picking T-Swift and Travis Kelsey? T-Swift and Travis all the way, all the way. You're so loyal. I am. My partner is a huge Swifty as well. We've been to a couple of different of the Eras tours. I've got to go. Seeing Taylor so happy with Travis, I could I could never vote against them. Oh, Emma, who are you going to pick? Oh, <laughs> I'm just, okay. I'm living for TT and Kai Kai right now. Uh, <laughs> I, and it's, it's not to like, it's not that I'm picking or I'm choosing or I like one more than the other, but right now I'm really loving this aesthetic that they're giving. I'm also loving the golden globe shade because let me tell you something. If a woman came up to my man, and said, can I take a picture with you? Knowing all the beef that we have between our mutuals. (laughs) I'm definitely telling you no. I am definitely telling you no, Selena. And I love that for Kylie. And I love that she loves her man and she doesn't want any other woman near her man. Cause that's so me, that is so, but she's a Leo. And I think that's where we both get it from. I would so, I would say no so quick. Um, But yeah, no, I just, I'm loving the energy that they're putting off. They've been so secretive, Um, but I will say I am a Timothy Chalamet and Kylie Jenner girly in a house full of Travis or Travis Kelsey's and Taylor Swift's like everyone around me and my life is all for that. So I have the inside scoop on them, but I feel like the, the Kylie thing is a little bit newer. Yeah. I can respect it. I can respect it. I had no idea they were even together. I thought they were just like friends with benefits. Um, So that was just my take. And then I was like, oh, they're actually together. But well, okay. So I will say, I think maybe part of the reason why I just recently started liking them is because I watched um, the, it's a movie on Netflix and Timothy Chalamet is the main character. I want to say it's the King and it's about Henry, the something or another, but he plays the main character. It's like a medieval, it's a period piece. And seeing him in that light just had me feeling different. Oh my um, god. If you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I mostly pay attention to Travis Kelsey and T Swift. So I'm going with that. Even though I'm not a Swifty, uh, I pick that couple. <laughs> They're just more entertaining. Damn, I would not expect that answer from you. That's not what I was expecting at all. But you know what? I'll take it. I get it. I get it. I they think overlap- I really so this is why Emma I like that they're way more out in public with their relationship like Kylie is so quiet about her relationship all the time and she pretends like she doesn't like these people and I'm like just pick your team man like act like you like someone if you like them and if you don't like them act like you don't like I don't want to be in this like you know maybe I like them maybe I don't 
So yeah. that's what I like about T Swift and Travis. Like they like love each other, and that's what I want from my man to like They're declare putting it all out there. Yeah, game, game one, game one, she was there. <laughs> yep. yep. See. Yep. Okay. I like that. I like that. See, because Kylie really is giving nothing. Like even on the Kardashians, she's giving nothing. Um, and I'm like, yes, baby, give nothing. <laughs> like, I love it for her. I, but again, I just, I think I just love Kylie. Anyways, our next question, because I could sit here and talk about anything Kardashian or <laughs> like all of them though, like the Kardashians and the whole Swift thing and the whole Selena, you should have put Selena and Benny Blanco up there. <laughs> I should have. But I don't pay attention to them either. See, now that's one I don't know if I I don't know if I'm there for that because Benny has outwardly said or talked shit about Selena in public. So I don't really like mm. that. But anyways, moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lila, what does your feed look like on your favorite social media platform? Oh man, this is uh this is personal. So I probably spend right now the most most amount of time on TikTok sitting around the airport waiting on good weather to move in. Um I have a lot of dog. I'm on dog talk. I also get a lot of food content and calling myself out here, a lot of self-help content on how to overcome your burnout and your oldest child syndrome. Um so my TikTok has really been hitting home these few past few days. Oh my gosh. I love that. What a great like mix up. It, I... it varies wildly. Mine does too. Honestly, some of the things I see on like I'm not always on TikTok. Emma sends me all kinds of things. So my TikTok looks like it's Emma's TikTok by now. <laughs> Only time I get on it. Um, but my Instagram feed is all over the place. And I actually want to pull it up because I want to know. I don't always look at my newsfeed, but sometimes when I look at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Emma, go ahead because I want to know what what's on yours. I don't even know. Like, um, uh, Jesus Christ, my like to be honest, it it is, I can't even describe the level of humor or the algorithm that I'm on at this point because it's like, uh, like playing to gag city Nicki minaj um Gypsy i'm just Rose screenshotting Core. my feed so you can post it for a combo later because it's literally like zits popping blackheads how clouds form anti-anxiety gym bag <laughs> how to somatically release anxiety and then like all these like i follow all the people that make like art artistic like memes or like cute sayings anything for my mental health so mine is like so random y'all are better than me see like I, maddie you know what my tiktok for you page looks like and it's 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 out there you know oh, are you an alien because i think you might be <laughs> no sometimes i really do think i am like okay for example one of the tiktoks that i saw recently that's like really stuck with me um that made me laugh really hard, like really, really hard. It was just a rat spinning um, with like a tie-dye background and then some sort of EDM music. Um, but that's my TikTok for you page. And that's what makes me laugh. So I don't really know how to describe that type of humor or how to describe what that looks like as an algorithm, but that's it. Yeah. I love that for you. <laughs> 
You know what? I can't be the only one because ironically, this post, uh, Bose commented on it and was like, this is fire. And I was like, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'll have to post it for this week's, uh, for this episode reel. So everyone knows what I'm talking about, but it, this is so niche. It's just too niche. Anyways, uh, let's move on to our last question. Last, but surely not least, what emoji do you hate and which one do you use too much in text? Oh no, I hate, so I hate the thumbs up when oh. you text someone something and they just respond with a thumbs up. I'm like, why do you hate me? I am so <laughs> sorry for whatever I did. <laughs> I, and it's I, giving I, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City Heather because technically <laughs> they say it means fuck you if you do a thumbs up to a text. I did yes. not know that. That's literally how I feel. Like I'll just be texting someone very professionally right for a flight and I'll be like, sorry, we have to cancel. It's just a thumbs up. And I'm like, I can't control the weather. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, see, that is kind of now, if you just respond with the emphasis, the thumbs up emphasis and nothing else. Oh, that's passive. That is passive aggressive. That is passive aggressive. You can't aggression. even go to the emoji. No, no. I mean, that's like, that's hardcore. That would probably rub me the wrong way too. I would not, yeah. I would not, I, I would not like that. Um, no. I'm trying to think of, well, what, what emoji do you use? Like, what's your favorite emoji? I use the side eye too much whenever I'm trying to be funny or I'm trying to be like, do you want to go like who wants to pick up lunch side eye? And I work with a bunch of people older than me that do not identify in the same way I do. And they're like, what the F is this Lila? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I use it too much. I know I do. <laughs> I use the side eye a good amount. And I also use the, um, the skull emoji to like everything. Yes. That is my most used emoji. I really need to stop using it, but literally I use it on everything. And then my other favorite is the, um, I don't even melting know how you would face. the melting face. Yeah. The face that's like half of its water. That's yeah. That's a good one. That's a really good one. I don't know what emoji I dislike. Like I used to really not like the poop emoji. I just hated it for some reason. But it, it's it's it, it's growing on me. I don't <laughs> have one that I hate. But um, Lila also told me I'm old because I use the laughing emoji too much. So I did not say that. that. <laughs> But that is how I feel if I use the laughing emoji too much. I'm like, oh, this is a little too cringe. Like, oh, God, especially the new one. And I use it all the time. It's the one with like the eyes. The sideways. Like, yes, it's sideways. And it's really hard. Yeah, I love that one. I always said fuck out of that. All I said is I hadn't used a GIF in forever until you sent me one. And I had <laughs> oh. to respond to I love gifts. Uh, I'm a gift girly. I love gifts. I do not care how boomer or millennial or whatever that makes me. I don't care if it ages me. I love, I love a gift. Love it. I think that's how I got back into sending gifts all the time is because of Emma. Like she just always sends them to me. I'm like, all right, got to respond with one. <laughs> that's the well, only equalizer. <laughs> it's, it's sometimes you need that personal touch to a text message. Like it really helps convey whatever emotion you're trying to get across. You know what I mean? Like people say you can't really pick up on tone through text. Oh, you'll pick up on it with me really quick. 
Yes, you oh will. my God, dude, I cannot, I'm having too much fun and we could sit here and probably talk and chit chat all night, but I will release you from our clutches, Lila, but thank you so, so, so much for joining us this week. We really, really appreciate you and everything that you've done for aeromedical reform and for pilots far and wide. Thank you both for having me. It is an honor to be in your presence tonight. And I absolutely love getting the chance to work with you both day in and day out with PMHC. And if anyone wants to come join us, this is absolutely a shout out to PMHC. We are looking for volunteers who are willing to come and join this amazing team. Yeah, you heard the woman. We need we need people. So if you're listening to this right now and you're asking yourself, what can I do to get involved? What can I do to help out? You can just go to PMHC, sign up. Anything really helps. If you're not able to be a volunteer, donate even $5. It it really does help us. We are gearing up this year to attend a ton of aviation events. And like Lila had mentioned, we are planning on going back to DC in March. So we need all the help that we can get. Please join us. And that is pmhc.org. So check us out over there. And thank you all so much for tuning in and listening this week. As always, keep the blue side up and the brown side down. We'll see y'all next week. Bye.